Hi friends, just a brief little addendum to this episode you are about to hear. I am outside, so you will probably hear some birds going. Um, I've made a decision to change the direction of the podcast, um, both of my podcasts. So jokes on me coming up with creatures of change because I mean, really where that came from is many of us, arguably all of us, because we are all constantly having to adapt to change, but some of us also really love change and that is me. So I thought it would be fun to do a podcast on that, but turns out it was only intended to be for one brief little season. And now I am shifting my online focus to an exciting new development um, called Bad Bitch Therapist. So soon we will be relaunching in this podcast feed bad bitch therapist podcast in early 2023 but i didn't want these creatures of change conversations or the past body full conversations to get lost and go away forever so i'm just leaving them here in this feed labeled as the podcast they are so you can continue to find those enjoy those share them and Meanwhile, watch for brand new episodes coming in early 2023 of Bad Bitch Therapist Podcast. Thanks, guys. Some of you may be watching this on YouTube and may be wondering, wow, this chick did not really put much time into her uh, video setup. So here's a little backstory on that. I've been podcasting in different capacities for almost eight years now. Um, I've never really done some of the things that are like, if you really want your podcast to be successful, do this. I'm just like, I like talking into a mic and sharing it with whoever wants to listen. Um, So I am putting a little more effort into quote unquote, turning pro as Stephen Pressfield says with this podcast. So I made a deal with myself. I will record video even for solo episodes, but I'm not going to care too dang much about what it looks like. So literally I'm sitting here in my sports bra, right after jumping off a live Peloton ride, cats wandering around, uh, lighting is weird, it's fine. I'm a talking head, you don't care. I just wanna be on YouTube reaching the people there. So if you are listening on audio, go and give us a follow. Um, Hell, I don't even know where to tell you to follow, so I'll put that in the show notes because I haven't set it up yet. Um, As you can tell, I am a very kind of off-the-cuff person. I really value bringing levity even into serious topics, and that doesn't mean that I don't take them seriously. Um, I was rewriting my Instagram bio recently, and I'm like, you know, therapist, yoga teacher, podcaster, blah, 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 Ravenclaw, Enneagram 7, all the stuff I say everywhere, tree hugger, vegan for the animals. (laughs) But I was like, no, I want to write something a little different. So I said, um, Glitter Bomb meets Nietzsche in human form. So that's me. (laughs) Um, And you'll learn a little bit more about me through the changes that I share in this episode. Um, I am married, celebrating my eighth wedding anniversary uh, with a trip to Atlanta this weekend. Three fur baby kitties um, that are our children of choice. And uh, yeah, I think we'll just start there. Oh, I do have a private practice called the Gaia Center. Um, you've probably heard more about that in the recorded intro, um, but all those links will be in the show notes if you want to find any of that stuff. So future episodes, there will be some solo, but most of them will be interviews with people, some of them who have made significant life changes. Um, 
in trajectory, some of them who have made small but really meaningful changes in lifestyle or habit kind of stuff. Um, Also with experts who have studied change in different capacities and people who are wanting to make a change and want to have some live coaching with me on the podcast. So I'm really excited about all of those formats. I can't wait to see what comes. I've already done one interview and I have several more scheduled. If you think that you might be a great guest for one of those buckets or you know someone who might be, you can email creaturesofchangepodcast at gmail.com or fill out the form at bit.ly slash creaturesofchangeguest. All lowercase, those links will be in the show notes. Um, Send any recommendations my way or recommend yourself. Okay, so on to my 10 changes. Um, Also a disclaimer, some of these might sound trivial or easy. Some of them may be changes that you would never want to make for yourself. That's totally fine. Everyone's unique with the changes that they experience and that will all be different, but we can all learn from each other about the change process. So like I said earlier, I'm just going to touch briefly on each of these. If you want to hear more about any of those, send an email to the email I just mentioned that's in the show notes or DM me, Val K. Martin, V-A-L-K-A-Y Martin, and maybe I'll share more about it in a future episode. All right, in somewhat kind of chronological order, here are my 10 changes. Um, When I was six or seven, my parents got divorced. Um, and I always say that it's one of the best things that ever happened to me. Now, I was very fortunate in that, um, my parents handled it really well. And when I think about, uh, what are all the variables that may have contributed to that? I mean, I'd probably have to interview them too, but I just really am incredibly grateful for the fact that they were so mature in the process. And I'm not saying it was easy for them. I'm certain that it was hard for them and each of them in different ways, but they're both really thriving now and have been for a long time. Of course, they've had their own challenges, but I always say, like, I know for sure my mom would not have grown into the woman she's become, who is the person I admire pretty much the most in the world um, and, and really look up to. So I think that that was a really positive change. One of the things that was kind of unique about with how they did that was, and I'm sure there's a name for this, but I don't know what it is. Um, for the first, I don't know how long, maybe a year, you know, I'm, oh, I've got reminders going off. Sorry about that. Um, for the first little while, um, my brother and I stayed in our house, which P.S. was built by my grandfather. Um, I'm so sad that we don't have that house anymore, but I get to drive past it and see what it looks like now. <laughs> um, and so we stayed in our house and they got a cheap apartment and would swap um, would swap locations themselves. So that was like, wow, how cool is that, that they were able to do that and have minimal disruption for us. Um, but like I said, on the whole, um, a pretty quote unquote easy divorce for the kids. And um, I always just like to kind of throw that out there because I know that a lot of times people are really scared about if they are feeling like they do need to move toward divorce and they're really scared about upsetting their kids, disrupting their kids' lives. And yeah, it really can be. It depends on the unique situation and care needs to be taken and, you know, maybe therapy. But 
Um, there are successful divorces, and I call my child myself a child of successful divorce. So it does exist. Okay, number two. Um, my relationship with food changed and then changed again. So I always had a major sweet tooth as a kid, never thought about what I was eating, never cared. I just wanted it to taste good. Um, And I was kind of that way, didn't think about body stuff, didn't really have those messages until, you know, then you start to enter like middle school, junior high, and it's everywhere you can ignore it. Um, So that on top of some you know, things that were going on in my life um, that, you know, were stressors that I was trying to figure out how to manage. Um, I remember having read, actually, at one point before things changed for me with food. It was in, I don't know, one of those teen magazines, and it was about someone with an eating disorder. Um, Not one of those things where it was like, you always hear about people who are like, oh, that's how I learned to have an eating disorder. I watched this after school special. It wasn't that, but it was I remembered reading um, about this person with anorexia or restricting uh, their food, and I thought to myself, like, I would never do that. I love food way too much. Uh, Spoiler alert, it did happen. The irony is, as many people who restrict their food, I still was obsessed with food. This was when the Food Network was kind of newer, um, and or at least in my town, and I would cook for people. I thought about food constantly, Um, not only the kind of monitoring and tracking of it and, you know, obsessing over nutritional things, but just I I, I couldn't stop thinking about it because, hello, I was depriving myself of it. So not surprising. Um, But that was, you know, a very, very painful, difficult experience that I didn't understand while I was going through it. Um, Eventually, I did get help. Um, and I'm sure that things would have gotten much worse without that. That kind of continued into college, and, um, after my freshman year, I did this Janine Roth retreat and learned about internal family systems, started to understand the parts of myself that were doing these behaviors, even ones that I just hated and then would hate myself, and anyway, all that to say, um, that in my early 20s, my relationship with food changed again for the better. And I had gone to college for communications, radio, TV, film. Haha, never worked in that field. (laughs) Um, And ended up working in public relations for a few years. And during that time, I I was, you know, in that kind of early post-recovery, like, out of the woods. I mean, and you're never fully out of the woods. You always got to be mindful. Um, Things can pop back up. But I was not in behaviors. I was like feeling food freedom for the first time in years. And I was on fire against diet culture and just seeing everywhere how many people were struggling in their relationships with food. So I enjoyed my marketing job, mostly the people Um, But I knew that there was something more that I wanted to do with this thing that I had found and wanting more people to have that. So I went back to grad school, um, and this is my change number three, my career change, and I studied social work. I couldn't decide, as some of you may know, that if you want to do counseling, therapy, etc., 
Um, there's like five different degrees that you can get. It's wild. So figuring out which one, which credential do I want? What kind of program do I want? Where do I want to do it? Now, I was a Longhorn in Austin already for undergrad, and they happen to have one of the best schools of social work in the nation. So I thought, well, that's easy. I'll do that. Um, and really enjoyed the program overall. Um, and then comes to change number four, because I knew I wanted to work with eating disorders. I don't know if it was legislation or what, but at that time in Texas, so this would have been 12 years ago, um, there was not much eating disorder treatment. Maybe some some outpatient in some of the bigger cities, but not much in the way of higher levels of care. And I knew I wanted to work in a higher level of eating disorder care. So I started poking around because the way that my program worked, I could either stay in the area and go through this complicated matching process and end up somewhere that maybe was not really where I wanted to be. Um, Or I could find my own thing long distance, and as long as it met the criteria and they wanted me, I could do it. So I went online and I found a place called The Ranch in Nunnally, Tennessee, about 45 minutes outside of Nashville. And I interviewed on Skype back in old ancient ye old ancient Skype days, and uh, we decided to do it. So I packed up my car, um, left my two cats with a friend, and said, I'll be back in four months. I came and rented a room out of a lady's condo and did that internship. It was, wow, trial by fire, an incredible learning experience. Um, At the time, this treatment center was really, really excellent in clinical care and Uh, And, you know, there were ups and downs and that level of care with highly acute um, clients is is really difficult. But I learned so much. It was overall a really good experience. And then when they offered me a job after grad school, I was like, I can't turn this down. I didn't want to move to Tennessee, but like, I guess I'm going to be here for a little while longer. So, you know, went back, got the cats, got all my furniture and stuff, moved into an apartment Change number four, I officially came to Nashville. And uh, I really didn't know. I mean, I again, I never intended to leave Austin. Loved Austin. And all my, all my family and friends were within, you know, most of them within a two-hour drive of that in Texas. And so I was out here knowing nobody, um, not really making friends in my, in my internship or in that job, like one or two. Um, so it was lonely. But when I came back, when I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to actually move here, I got on those apps, y'all, in 2012, like <laughs> the pre-Tinder hinge, all of that days. I was on OkCupid, and I met the, I'm well, I met a bunch of guys that week. <laughs> I was like lining up all these dates for when I was coming back to town after uh, a month-long trip away and to graduate and all that jazz. But I... uh the fourth date that I went on when I came back, or fourth guy that I met, I was like, yep, okay, done, let's do this. So I went from being um, single to dating quickly um, after moving here, and then a year and a half later, we got engaged. So my change number five is I got married. Um, And, you know, it's interesting because... There's all this stuff nowadays around the kind of consensual non-monogamy and um, ethical polyamory, all of that kind of stuff. It's it's fascinating. And, you know, 
the institution of marriage is kind of bunk. It's, it's, you know, originally rooted in patriarchal ownership and just, I don't know, there's a lot about it that I don't love. Um, I love being married to my husband and we have weathered some ups and downs. And as I said, eight years married, 10 years together. Um, I would not trade him for anything. Um, and, you know, I'm a little suspicious of this institution of marriage. So not as much so as when, you know, I was a starry-eyed mid-20s, like, let's do this. Um, so yeah, who knows what that will look like over time. But all I know is that I am deeply committed to this relationship. Um, as I always say, I can't predict the future. We can't predict what's going to be going on in my life 10 years from now, 20 years from now. So I always think about the importance of if I know that I have my own back and I'm not going to abandon myself, then I can I can deal with a lot. I can handle a lot of changes. I can handle the fact that I can jump off this cliff of saying, yes, I do, and not know what's going to happen 10 or 20 years down the line, as long as I know I have my own back and I'm on my own side. That, to me, is mature trust versus naive trust where we think, well, in order to trust that this is a good idea, to trust this person, I have to trust they're never going to hurt me. They're never going to cheat. They're never, it's always going to be perfectly fine, happily ever after. Like, no, we don't know that. Like, we can take the data that we have. We can um, make wise decisions with that data, but we can't predict the future. And so that steadiness comes from our own unshakable core. Okay, soapbox over. Change number six. So I'm working out at this treatment center that's out in the middle of nowhere. Um, I said 45 minutes outside of Nashville. That's to the very edge of West Nashville. <laughs> at the point that I was um, engaged with my husband, well, no, I guess we'd already moved by the point we were engaged. But there was a point for six months when we were dating where we lived on the far east side of Nashville in an area called Donaldson. My drive five days a week was about an hour and a half to two hours each way. <laughs> oh, I look back and go, how did I do all of those? How did I work in that setting for five and a half years? How did I make that drive for that time? Um, but the cool thing about it is, you know, having a 65 mile each way commute, including through downtown traffic, um, that really makes other drives relative. So now we live kind of on the west edge of town, just outside the city line. I'm like, oh, it takes me 30 minutes to get downtown or to East Nashville. That's nothing. That's cake, right? So I kind of feel spoiled by the fact that I had that awful commute for a while. Um, anyway, out there in the middle of nowhere, um, our treatment center was situated on a 2,000 acre working cattle ranch. So we'd be driving from one building to the next. Some of the buildings were miles apart. And you'd be sometimes have to stop your car and let a bunch of cattle pass through. Um, there were other animals too, but mostly cattle. Um, I have never felt super comfortable about eating meat. Like even as a kid, I'd kind of get weird about like meat on the bone. Like it just, I never liked touching raw meat. And I, I kind of was only cool with it because A, I liked the taste of some of it, not all of it. Um, and B, I liked, um, what was I going to say? I, oh, the cognitive dissonance. I was able to just kind of compartmentalize it, right? Which is sort of um, the the main thing that we do with that kind of stuff. 
now, some people might be like, hey, I killed this animal myself. I know exactly what I'm doing. I skinned it. I did all this. I respect that, you know, that you're not relying on that cognitive dissonance to make that okay. But I never felt great about it. And then I would just kind of shove that away. I would try to be vegetarian every now and then. Um, and then I would always feel like I was white knuckling and I'd feel super self-deprived and all my friends would be eating all the things. And then eventually I would cave again. Um, not to mention during the eating disorder time, I, for a period, yes, it was partially because I was uncomfortable eating it really, but also it was a convenient way to restrict. So that's one thing that um, then working in residential treatment, sometimes we'd have people come in like, I'm vegan. And we'd be like, oh yeah, uh-huh, that's convenient. Which now I feel horrible about because I know that there are people who legitimately it doesn't feel um, alignment with their ethics and values to eat those things, including dairy and eggs. Once I learned about those industries later, at the time I thought, well, why would anyone be vegan? Like those things don't kill the animal. They don't harm the animal. So why would that matter? It must just be because it's disordered and rigid. Uh, came to find out later that's not the case. So um, we always want to check for that motivation, but there's a lot of validity to those concerns. As I learned when in 2016, one day I got a bee in my bonnet doing a uh, loving compassion meditation. So this is change number six. And I started thinking about all those freaking cows that I would see every day. And, you know, that may there be, may all beings be happy and free. Um, and I thought, damn it, time for me to go get some vegetarian cookbooks again. Looking through the cookbooks at our big used bookstore here in McKay's. And I find this book that's not a cookbook. It's a nonfiction book called Eating Animals by Jonathan Safran Foer, who also writes fiction. And I was like, hmm, that looks interesting. I got it within a matter of days. I was watching all the documentaries that I had always avoided. And boom, I realized not only was I done with meat, but I was like, oh, I guess if I'm not going to eat meat for ethical reasons, like kind of can't really have this other stuff either. And shockingly, for the first time in all of the years that I've tried vegetarian, pescatarian to kind of align more with my values, this was the time that it actually... I haven't felt deprived. And that's a thing that I always tell people about um, my choice for veganism. First of all, number one, I still love plenty of people who eat all the things, who wear leather. Um, if I didn't, I would, frankly, I would just have a really small world. So it, I don't, um, I almost have like a way of, of compartmentalizing that stuff in my brain where I'm like, this doesn't affect how I see you. Would I love if you went vegan? Of course I would. But this doesn't make me judge you or see you differently. I did that for 30 years too. And, you know, most of the time wasn't really thinking about it when I went and bought something leather. So, um, yeah, I it, I didn't feel deprived because it felt more like I am choosing this. Um, I Yes, I can smell that that does smell good, but I am choosing not to have that. And the other thing is going vegetarian or vegan nowadays – um, there are bajillion options. I am a huge ice cream person. I'm a huge cheese person. I would never give those up. I just have different versions of them made with different building blocks. And if you've had a vegan cheese and your or ice cream and you're like, ugh, it was so bad, because that used to be me. I used to say, ugh, why would you have soy milk ice cream? Gross. Um, you just haven't had the right ones yet. 
There are so many that are delicious. And I'm a foodie, still a foodie, always will be. Now one of my favorite things where is travel before, it's like one of the best parts is finding the great restaurants, right? Be on Yelp, whatever. Now I'm on Yelp, I'm on Happy Cow. And that's one, still one of the best parts about travel. Whether we're in a big city and we have a ton of options or we're in the freaking Scottish Highlands and we're still eating really well. So veganism um, as change number six is something that, I, I made the change in, in some ways it was years in the making, as you've kind of heard. And in some ways it was like that switch flipped. Once I watched all those, I was done and I've never had an urge to switch back. It's just, it's part of who I am now. And that's a thing that we'll uncover with a lot of the stories of change that we talk about on this show is that so much of it comes to identity. James Clear talks about this in Atomic Habits. And in a way, we want to be mindful of that because there can be aspects where we're talking about identity groups, like political stuff, and because we're using it so much as an identity, then we're really rigid and we're not so open to change in our ways of thinking. So obviously, that can be a little dicey or very dicey, even dangerous. Um However, when it comes to things that don't really affect, my veganism doesn't affect anyone else. So if I want to consider that a really core part of my identity, I can, right? That's not keeping me closed-minded in a sense that's harming anyone else. Um, And also, I get to eat really great food. It's, you know, some people will say it's the healthier way of eating. Now, I have plenty of vegan play food. I don't use the term junk food. I learned play food from intuitive eating. Love it. I make sure that my body gets the nutrients it needs, and then I got plenty of play food on the side, and it's delicious. Um, So hashtag anti-diet vegan. Change number seven. I'm going to blaze through these last ones pretty quick. Um, Movement. I have always loved movement. Okay, if you're watching on YouTube, I'm picking up this little picture from the side of my desk. This little chick here wearing a little um, very 80s, uh, leotard swimsuit and some leg warmers. <laughs> um, that's me. It's my little reminder to be kind to little Val over there. Um, I have been moving forever. I've never been a sports person unless you count cheerleading and gymnastics, which is very athletically challenging. Um, but I always have loved moving my body. I've loved quote-unquote, exercise and fitness, um, especially once I really decoupled that from the sort of aesthetic stuff and um, diet culture. And what's neat about my relationship with movement is that the format changes all the time, and yet the consistency remains. And part of what's helped me be consistent in recent years, I think this this has not always been the case with movement. I will say I've probably been the most consistent with movement in recent, you know, I don't know, the last four years than I ever have been. Um, and a lot of that is because I almost always do it in the morning. That doesn't mean every single morning. However, you know, again, the kind of principles of change, it's often easier to do something every day than to do it five days a week or, you know, three days a week. Um, that may not be the case for everybody. Some of us operate differently. But I, I really do move every day, even if that moving is a walk or it's a floor stretch or something. So if I do that in the morning, then I am already feeling, you know, not only am I maybe getting some of those endorphins, um, 
hope molecule, happy chemical stuff going on. You can read about in the Joy of Movement, which I hope to have um, Kelly McGonigal on Bodyful, the other podcast. Um, but it's it's just I already feel like I've done something good for myself. It feels good. Um, that's another thing that, that she talks about in the Joy of Movement is that the people who have a more consistent practice with movement or exercise are the ones who are finding it finding ways to enjoy it in the moment doing it in ways that are fun or enjoyable at the time and not just relying on that like oh, i know it's good for me i know i'll feel better later um that we we really do better if we can uh shockingly actually enjoy the experience some so I have done every home workout under the sun over the years, back from VHSs to DVDs to almost every streaming service. Um, I've, you know, done obviously studio yoga, which I also teach, um, studio bar stuff, Orange Theory. Um, I've done a lot of it. And now I'm officially a Peloton junkie. I also really love Bar 3. Their online classes are amazing. But Peloton, I can get almost all my needs met in one place. Um, I am a huge, huge fan. I have a whole little WhatsApp thread with random people, um, a group of women that I've met, that we we connect with each other. We send screenshots of, oh, here was my stack today. 10 minutes of this, 20 minutes of this, 10-minute stretch. Um, and that's another great tool for change is like having that kind of support. I mean, the accountability word, you know, mixed feelings about, but truly science tells us it helps, right? So that is my change number seven. And also that includes like some psychological flexibility and um, flexibility with my self-concept. For instance, I used to say, I hate running. I run when chased. I will never be a runner. Why would people do that? Just like I would say, why would people not eat cheese, right? Quote, unquote, real cheese. Um, and actually, you might see if you're watching on video, not only is there a bike behind me, but there's a treadmill. Oh, there it is. And I don't run all the time. I run very slowly compared to most people. But I've I have started to enjoy running. Maybe it's more jogging, but you know, it's it's a start, and I'm enjoying it when I allow myself to do it only when it feels good. Um, anything else starts to feel obligatory. Forget about it. Okay, number eight. My professional interests have changed. So yeah, I got into the field primarily to work with eating disorders. But then over time, as I've continued to grow, learn more things, my interests um, clinically have evolved more into the trauma stuff, more into sex therapy relationships. As I've done my own work, I'm like, oh my gosh, again, kind of, I didn't realize that I could have um, a better relationship with my, my sexuality. I want other people to have that too. And most therapists are not talking about this. I want to be someone who talks about this. So um, all of those things have been really cool to just see how um, I'm always interested. I've got a million books and trainings, always interested in learning new things clinically. Um, and it's a challenge to kind of allow myself to follow those interests without feeling like I have to do every training, read every book. Hello, welcome to being an Enneagram 7, if you know what I mean. Okay, number nine, related but different, is I always thought that once I went into private practice at the beginning of 2017, I thought I will I love being solo. Uh, people talk about it's being lonely. I'm like, I have my friends, like I this is my jam. I love just getting to call the shots, 
to be my own boss and not have to worry about other people. Some people go into group practice and then, you know, hire other clinicians who work with them or maybe even have administrative staff. I was like, that sounds like a freaking headache. I don't want to do that. So not only had I said before, I never want to work with couples. I also said, I never want to have a group. Now I'm doing both of those things. So again, being flexible with our self-concept, not boxing ourselves in. Um, I took on an intern who reached out to me on Instagram of all things, uh, Colleen Werner, ended up being such a great experience. I was like, oh, I want to do this again. Oh, I want to hire her. So how do I do that? And then went from one office in a shared suite with some other therapists to now having uh, my own suite with the Gaia Center. And I'm loving it. It's challenging. Yes. Um, there's a lot more involved, but so far, really loving it. And who knows, maybe someday I'll go solo again, but this change is really, really exciting at this time in my life. Um, and then number 10, my podcasts have changed. I kind of mentioned at the beginning that I've been podcasting over the years. Um, gosh, it started off with one called Whole You that I co-hosted with a dietitian. Um, and then I had, I can't remember if there's something else in between, but I had one called What's the Fucking Point, <laughs> which you can still hear some of those episodes. They're in the feed uh, with my podcast, Bodyful. Um, so then I had one called Vegan and Vibrant for a little while. I might still resurrect that one day. We'll see. And that was about kind of vegan, mental, emotional health and well-being. Um, and then Bodyful which is about a year-ish, maybe a little over that old, and now this. So it's really fun. I When I have an idea, I'm sometimes just like, oh, idea happens, now I need the URL, now I'm trademarking it, now I'm designing the logo all by bedtime. So <laughs> that's a little bit about the scary insides of my brain. Um, this was really fun. I know I talked super fast. I was just feeling really excited. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and already I, I know what you're going to be hearing a couple weeks from now, an interview with my friend Ray, and I can't wait to share that. So subscribe, tell your friends, and I'll see you next time. I hope you enjoyed this episode and if you feel moved to share it with someone you think would love it or maybe leave a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, I would be ridiculously appreciative. If you or someone you know has an interesting and inspiring story about change, please reach out and let me know. You can send any interview recommendations to creaturesofchangepodcast at gmail.com. For show notes for this and previous episodes, head over to gaiacenter.co slash podcast. That's G-A-I-A center.co slash podcast, where you can also check out our sister podcast, Bodyful. You can connect with me on Instagram at Val K. Martin, that's K-A-Y spelled out, and at The Gaia Center, which is the name of my Nashville-based therapy practice. You can also sign up for the Gaia Center monthly newsletter at bit.ly slash Gaia Center News, where we'll share about groups and events we're offering locally, along with tips and resources from our therapists that we hope will be valuable and relevant wherever you may be listening from. Thanks for being here, and we'll see you next time.